Hello, I'm Mark Standish, and you're listening to Critical Faith. This podcast is coming to you from the Center for Philosophy, Religion, and Social Ethics at the Institute for Christian Studies. ICS is a graduate school of philosophy in Toronto, where I'm a junior member. In this podcast, we get together to talk about all things faith, scholarship, and society, and the many ways those things interact. We want Critical Faith to give you a bit of a glimpse into the everyday life of ICS. Each week, we will invite past and present members of ICS and Friends of the Institute to join us. We'll ask them to share their journey in scholarship and how it connects to their faith and their lives. I'm Danielle Yett, and I'm also an ICS junior member. Joining us today, we have ICS junior member and recently conferred Reverend Minor in the Jesuit Order, Ted Avram. We'll welcome Ted a little later in the program. And that gets us to our first segment, Don't Miss This. In this segment, we will highlight all kinds of things that we don't want you as our listeners to miss. New books and articles in philosophy, theology, and current affairs, important events and anniversaries in these same worlds and in the church year, and every now and then, an event at the Institute for Christian Studies. So, Danielle, what's something we should not miss out on? Well, something that we should not miss out on is a conference that... I am helping plan wow. um, as a very minor role, but Hector from here, our Hector, is also helping. Ron is on the committee of this planning committee. Um, it's called the Our Whole Society Conference, and it's happening in Toronto this year. It happens, well, so far I think it's happened every two years. But yeah, Ron is also on this committee. Uh, uh, it was spent in Montreal, Ottawa, I think last year well it's also in vancouver so but this year it's in toronto and it's happening april 28th to 30th uh at here at the university of toronto the multi-faith center um and it's a big interfaith conference so mm. so people are coming together to talk about the theme of the conference which is identity and common ground in an age of transition so there's a lot of big names bumping around at this conference. So uh, Hector and I are moderating a workshop on the 29th. Hmm. Ron is uh, responding to the last keynote address with Michael Ruse. No. Yeah. With Michael Ruse um, on, what did he call it? Darwinian existentialism, oh. which sounds like a fun time. That so, sounds very fun. <laughs> yeah. Sounds life or death. Yeah. I mean, I think that is the idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like it's going to be a fun conference. And I would encourage you all to come. Uh, my thing that you should not miss um, is a concert. 
It's a little piece of Hamilton in Toronto for you. Oh, so that's how you yeah, justify it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there are three bands. One is a band called Elevator. Um, another is a band called Ellis. And another is a band called Basement Revolver. And all three bands are various degrees of friendship with me. Oh. Um, and... Actually, Ellis's new music video was shot at my house, um, <laughs> for, for what it's worth. Um, but they're all really good, and uh, it's at the Great Hall um, on Queen West on Friday, April the 5th, starting at, or doors are at 8 p.m. So you guys should check it out if you really want to understand what Hamilton's about, all you Torontonians. I feel like I'm just not cool enough to know... I don't think they let me in the door. They um, <laughs> they let you in the door. For our second segment, we want to give you a glimpse of what it's like to be critically faithful in a graduate school of philosophy, theology, and interdisciplinary studies like ICS. So we're simply asking our guests, what are you working on? We'll talk about seminars and courses taking place at ICS at this moment, the reading and other research our members are doing, our writing, publishing, presentations, and conference participation. So hi, Ted. Hello. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. Great to have you. Uh, before we jump in, I want to ask you a couple of introductory questions so people can get to know you. Sure. Uh, so first, tell me, what was your favorite childhood book? I don't think I had a favorite childhood book. I went through phases. First, I was like um, going through kind of adventure novels for kids, something like Mark Twain's uh, uh, Huckleberry Finn or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and afterwards, I discovered uh, the grand epics like the Aeneid, the Odyssey, uh, the Iliad, and I got in love with, with these kind of hyper-classicist works. <laughs> uh, and um, later on, in high school, uh, I discovered romantic poetry, uh, like Romanian romantic poetry, like uh, Eminescu, uh, but also Irish uh, mm. romantic poetry, like uh, W.B. Yeats, mm. which uh, uh, I greatly enjoy. Yeah, something nice. like that. Do you feel like there's a, a continuous thread through all of those? No, they're very divergent. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, romanticism has something to do with a sort of nostalgia for uh, the antiquity. But mm -hmm. other than that, I don't think there is. Just caught your fancy. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, second question. Do you have a favorite bar or coffee shop here in Toronto? I would say that uh, I go quite often to Overeasy for oh, yeah. breakfast on Bloor Street. So that's a, a good spot to go. Uh, it's not too hipstery and not too non-hipstery either. <laughs> so it's a good balance. Right middle of the road. Uh, and third and final intro question is also the most controversial. Uh, who do you think is the most overrated philosopher of our time, or if you want to be more controversial, of all time? It's Sartre. I don't think he's uh, he has anything... Uh, more to say than, you know, mere platitudes. <laughs> but um, so influential uh, in, a, in a sense. And he gets quoted, especially by uh, Romanian philosophers who interacted with him. Uh, uh, and he's writing very much like Lucian Blaga or uh, uh, Emil Choran. Um, and uh, 
some took a, a very kind of antithetical approach, like Blaga did, uh, and uh, some, uh, like Choran, just fell into nihilism because of Sartre. Because yeah. of him. Yeah. So To transition from your mention of Romanian philosophers, uh, what is it that you're working on right now? Well, I'm doing an MA uh, here at ICS, and uh, my thesis is uh, on two philosophers, uh, Alvin Plantinga and Bernard Lonergan. Um, the thesis is on the nature of belief, so it's broadly speaking epistemology. Uh, both of them have uh, quite different approaches. Uh, Lonergan, when he speaks about belief, he speaks in a very phenomenological sense, although he has a very developed uh, epistemology about other things, but when he speaks directly about belief, he's kind of far, um, very phenomenological. Um, and Alvin Plantinga, he uh, he's quite a famous Calvinist philosopher, and he uh, created a great um, uh, th a trilogy called Warrant, um, in which he develops quite a system of about what beliefs are when they are warranted or when they are uh, not, uh, what is reasonable belief, what sort of properties would belief have. He comes from the analytic tradition, unlike Lonergan, who comes from the Thomistic tradition. So this is what I'm working on. They're kind of an odd couple. They are a very odd couple, uh, and it was quite difficult for me to find somebody who uh, worked to create a dialogue between the two of them Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I have found no title or a paper <laughs> <laughs> in which uh, anyone did that before. Um, but I think it's worthwhile because uh, there is a way in which the Thomistic tradition can inform, especially on this doxastic level, uh, the analytic tradition, which is very pro uh, propositional. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, by concentrating on the mind itself uh, by uh, saying that uh, reason is the one um, that uh, has certain attributes uh, that lead people uh, into knowing and the propositional tra uh, tradition that uh, gives properties between uh, uh, two propositions and uh, two uh, logical uh, delineations. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, one of the things that I will be talking about is the fact that the analytic tradition is, uh, is concerned with certainty, mm -hmm. but uh, tries to pin it on a proposition. That proposition is certain. Mm -hmm. The other proposition is certain. Uh, while uh, Lonergan wouldn't do this because certainty is uh, a property of the mind. So it's a person that is certain, not a proposition. A proposition can be true or untrue. Um, so uh, this way we can eliminate all the mistakes that were done by um, Bertrand Russell and the later analytic tradition uh, by confounding the nature of a proposition with the uh, operation of the mind. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that part of the difficulty with you coming to this project was not having anyone who has kind of brought these people all together in one conversation. And I know you're working with Bob Sweetman here. Um, has he helped you 
find ways to make those connections yourself or has he pointed you to people who are actually doing similar kind of connection building or has he made you see anything? Well, um, Bob was equally surprised by this project, um, <laughs> but he did help uh, me um, uh, tease out some some of the, uh, uh, let's say, um, hunches that mm -hmm. I had uh, along the way, uh, because I got uh, quite fascinated by uh, Alvin Plantinga and uh, his response uh, to uh, positivism, verificationism, uh, um, and um, even uh, modern militant atheism. Um, and uh, that's how I got to know him originally. Mm. And then uh, in Ireland, uh, I discovered Lonergan um, on a different venue uh, and uh, said, oh, uh, this is quite interesting as well. So it wasn't uh, that uh, I saw that uh, they can be uh, placed in dialogue. It's, it was mostly like, I like this philosopher. <laughs> I like this philosopher too. I wonder if they can be brought together. Um, and I think they can. This is the place to do that kind of work, You're like yeah. forcing people into conversation and seeing what comes out of it, right? <laughs> it's precisely the good place to do that. Yeah. yeah. Has anything in particular surprised you about actually putting them into conversation? Well, I was... Um, I was surprised not uh, uh, about something that uh, there is a conversation between them uh, because I'm working on that and I kind of know where things fit and where things do not fit. Uh, but I discovered here at ICS uh, a great deal about the reformational uh, tradition that I did not know. Mm. Um, I discovered philosophers like uh, Doivert or Vollenhoven and I thought, Doivert, uh, he is way closer to Lonergan than hmm. uh, Plantinga is because Doivert had uh, to respond to similar um, uh, external philosophies, mm -hmm. especially Kant. Uh, while uh, Plantinga being more modern, he responded to the leftovers of Kant, yeah. uh, verificationism and uh, logical positivism uh, later on. So they are kind of more distanced. But I would say that uh, if anyone takes on a new project, uh, of putting a Catholic philosopher and a, and a Calvinist philosopher together, uh, Doivert and Lonergan have much more in common. Hmm. Interesting. So you doing your MA... You've, you're in your last class now, is that correct? I am in my last class, yeah. And then you're looking forward to writing, <laughs> right? <laughs> writing the thesis, yes. yes. Uh, do you have any other projects on the go, or are you going to buckle down to writing? Well, uh, there are only two months left, so I better buckle down <laughs> and finish. True. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> Thanks for telling us about your, your work. No problem. In our third segment, we want to talk directly to the professors of the future. Moving on from what you've been working on, we'll talk about what it is like to be a scholar and how you made your way into academic life. 
We hope over time to map the journey from being an undergraduate student to being a professor of philosophy or theology, with an emphasis on teaching philosophy in undergraduate programs. This week, we're asking Ted to narrate a bit about his undergraduate years, specifically asking him what moved him in the direction to where he is now. So, Ted, give us a glimpse of your experience as an undergraduate. Well, as an undergraduate, I was um, studying theology uh, at the Faculty of Theology in Trgoviste at University of Valachia in Romania. Uh, it was uh, pastoral studies so or pri- priestly studies, so they are oriented towards priesthood hmm. in particular. But they were very broad. There were lots of courses um, and uh, quite a great amount of reading and lots and lots of exams, like 25 or something a year. Uh, A year? Yeah. So uh, in the fourth year, there were less. Uh, It ended with a a thesis, a small kind of uh, undergraduate thesis, Um, but there there was a lot of uh, classes. Uh, It wasn't much um, uh, directed towards scholarship, uh, it was a sort of study directed towards priesthood. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of kind of memory uh, type of um, uh, teaching. Um, you need to memorize things. You need to learn about the history of the church. You need to learn about liturgy uh, or about uh, church fathers. Um, it was, um, uh, in a sense, uh, great formation because uh, it granted me and uh, my colleagues there, um, quite an, I would say, encyclopedic uh, understanding Mm. of the religious milieu. Um, But later uh, in uh, the Masters of Theology there, uh, scholarships... Which you did afterwards. Which I did afterwards. um, Scholarships started and critical approaches to whatever documents we are studying. Um, or, um, uh, for example, a textual criticism uh, of uh, scripture appeared, which did hmm. not exist in the undergraduate level. Um, and that opened up uh, some ideas, some uh, um, venues of uh, how research uh, could be done in theology in particular. Yes. What motivated you to do uh, your master's degree at that time? I was uh, at the time uh, uh, teaching uh, religious education in schools and Mm. uh, I also had enough time to do extra studies. So I thought, uh, well, I might go for a master's because I will follow up with a a doctorate later. Mm. Uh, And uh, generally uh, in Romania, you need a master's to follow up with the doctorate. So that was my thinking then. That's a long time ago. Yeah, when when was that? I think it was uh, when I was 24, 24, 25 years old. That has to be around uh, 2008, 2009. And um, when you're coming out of your uh, master's degree, um, where did you envision yourself going with that? With the doctorate, I envisioned myself uh, following up and and joining a theology faculty. And so it was always it was your it was always the plan to do a doctorate, and then after that to 
become a f- professor? Sure. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And when did you have this idea of becoming a professor? Well, uh, it wasn't very early on uh, because uh, my main vocation would be to be a priest. Hmm. Uh, This was a secondary kind of calling. I could do this. I enjoy studying and I enjoy uh, teaching. And I enjoy teaching older people (laughs) rather than very small kids. So that's how it came about, yeah. And um, you said your your primary call, uh, calling was being a priest. When did you start to feel that calling and how, how did that happen? Well, it started very early on. I, uh, I would say I was about 12 years old. Uh, um, I don't know how it came about. Uh, I just remember that uh, uh, one day I, I was telling my father, you know, I think I want to be a priest. And my father was like, no, you will not. <laughs> you are going to be a mathematician. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I, I followed up with, with this vocation. Where, did you grow up in a religious family? Um, my father was an atheist, but my mom was, uh, broadly speaking, religious, kind okay. of Easter and Christmas type of religious. Mm. And so when you were 12... Were you going to church at the time? Um, and wh- what type of church was that? Yes, uh, I started going to church uh, around the time I was eight. Um, and uh, it was the Eastern Orthodox Church mm. of Romania. Um, and uh, I, I went to the parish church. I got in love with the liturgy and the hymns there. Uh, and uh, I started reading um uh, the church fathers, uh, in particular, uh, and uh, I enjoyed that very much, and I found them very inspirational, and I still do today. Hmm. So fast forward a bit. Go. Let's go back to your doctoral work. So um, after you finished your master's, you started a, doc- uh, a doctorate, and what was that on, and who's that with? So I started a doctorate, uh, which I did not finish because uh, a new vocation came along. <laughs> um, uh, but it was on the history of um, of religion, comparative religion. Uh, my plan was to do something on the resurrection in world religion, the concept okay. of resurrection yeah. in world religions. And it was with uh, Remus Rus at the University of Bucharest. Um, and... Um, um, of course, in the first year, you uh, do uh, some cl- uh, courses. Yeah. Uh, uh, and some of them were on uh, mysticism in world religions. Some of them were on uh, uh, moral theology in world religions. Um, and uh, I did uh, all the, that preparatory work um, in the first year. Um, I gave the exams, uh, but I did not uh, follow up in the following years with actually writing the thesis. You said you had a new vocation come up. How how do you end up here at ICS in 2019 from there? Right. So uh, I, I approached uh, the uh, Society of Jesus um, in 2014. What, what prompted that approach? Well, a lot of things prompted it because uh, I got quite inspired uh, by some Jesuit writers like Tony DeMello 
uh, and of course uh, the life of uh, Francis Xavier mm-hmm. um, and uh, of course I, I wanted to do the exercises the spiritual exercises of, of Saint Ignatius uh, at, at a particular point so I did contact the Jesuits and I joined the society um, and uh, the Jesuits uh, incarnated me in the province of Ireland uh, and uh, was the, that just their choice or it, it was a common discernment okay okay uh, and uh, then after the novitiate was over uh, I was sent to do philosophy here in Canada uh, because uh, the Jesuits have here a philosophy program hmm. but I did not go to Regis College uh, which is the Jesuit college <laughs> and I came to the Calvinist one because I always like to have uh, my feet in two elements, hmm. water, you know, like the angels in the apocalypse, one foot in the water, one on the land. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so one in the Calvinist, <laughs> one, one in the Jesuit. Calvinist. Yes. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. Um, and uh, so is that typical? Uh, what's the typical um, route for a Jesuit per, from when you start out to um, when you become a full-fledged Jesuit? Is that a thing? I don't know very much about this. So you are a full-fledged Jesuit uh, after you take vows, after two years of novitiate. Okay. Uh, but uh, you haven't taken yet final vows. Okay. Um, which that happens really late. And some some Jesuits never take them. Hmm. Um, but the process is uh, more or less like this, like two-year novitiate, two or three years philosophy. What's a novitiate? Uh, that's when you start and you do spiritual exercise, the spiritual exercises and you discern whether or not uh, mm. to continue on this path. Uh, and there are, it's a very kind of monastic uh, kind of life in the novitiate. A uh, lot of prayer, a lot of discernment uh, that uh, disciplines you for, uh, uh, for later life. Uh, then uh, you do philosophy two or three years, then regency when generally you teach, but you may have another apostolate as well. Then you have two or three years theology, then you get ordained uh, if you want to be a priest, but some Jesuits are brothers, so they never get ordained. And then after some years of priesthood, uh, you will go to tertianship or the second novitiate. for one year, uh, in after which you take the final vows. Okay, and um, you recently uh, received some orders. Do you want to tell us about those? Right. So um, at uh, on the eighteenth of February uh, in Ottawa at the community uh, of the Fraternity of Saint Peter, uh, Saint Clement's Church. Um, I received uh, minor orders uh, in extraordinary form from uh, His Grace, Most Reverend Archbishop uh, Terence Prednagast. Um, those are um, kind of preparatory uh, steps uh, in the traditional form uh, before the major orders, which are, of course, deaconate and priesthood. Awesome. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um... Well, it's been great to talk to you about life after um, undergrad at ICS itself. 
Um, what's something that you've enjoyed about uh, about being at ICS? Well, I enjoyed very much uh, the debates, for example, that <laughs> happen uh, during the classes, uh, which are done in uh, charity, uh, <laughs> but people do st- st- uh, hold strong opinions about very divergent things. <laughs> Um, so I enjoyed this kind of intellectual freedom, uh, mm. and I enjoyed uh, the charity with which this is uh, uh, done. Yes. Well, I've enjoyed. I don't know if we've ever actually engaged in a debate in class, but I've enjoyed your charity in asking questions and whatnot in class with you. Thank you. And that brings us to the last of our regular segments, What's Your Pleasure? This is where we get to kick off our shoes and talk about the other things we do for fun. The movies and television shows we're watching, the sports and games we play, the food and drink we make and enjoy, the music we listen to, and so on. So Mark, what's your pleasure? So my pleasure for this week is a book that's upcoming. The book's been out for a while, but only in Great Britain. So it's been out for a few months, Mm. since like December. Um, but only in Great Britain. And I got my hands on a copy of it, but it actually comes out April 16th. And it is by an Irish author, Sally Rooney. She's 27 um, and makes me sad about my life because she already has two novels published and they're both very good. And um, You have yeah. two novels waiting to be published. I, uh, that's my secret there is that go. I also have two novels waiting to be published. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, she's very witty. Um, oh yeah, I haven't said the, no- the name of the t- novel yet. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? The novel is called Normal People. So her first novel was called Conversations with Friends, and it uh, generated a lot of buzz. The New Yorker was really high on it. Hmm. Um, and then this novel is called Normal People, and it traces these uh, two characters starting in high school and their transition into uh, adulthood in uh, in Ireland. And it's really she does one thing she's really good at is writing um, post two thousand eight recession literature. <laughs> <laughs> That's so very niche. Uh, yeah, it is. So the the story takes place like a year after the recession, the recession hit Ireland uh, really hard, almost unlike anywhere else in the West. And um, so they're like, and it was a construction boom issue. So they built all of these properties and then no one could, no one was buying them. So there's always empty um, uh, properties. And there's one scene where they're like, just like hanging out inside of these like developments that have been abandoned Mm. and just like, uh, you know, chatting it up with each other and like wondering over the state of where Western society is going. And I feel like it is a novel of our times and I'm, I'm really intrigued by it. It's also like much more hopeful than Conversations with Friends. It's conversations with Friends is like Dostoevsky and in that you feel this like haze mentally when you read it. Not so much with um, normal people. How would you characterize her style? So the number one rule of creative writing, especially writing fiction, is show, don't tell. Mm. She doesn't follow that. Um, <laughs> so she kind of, it's kind of like a modern, uh, it's someone, someone wrote that it's like um, Salinger for the Snapchat era. Um, oh. 
<laughs> I don't know how to take that comment. It's a, it's a strange, it's a strange comment. Yeah. But um, the way that she writes is um, she has all of these like proclamations about what the characters are feeling, oh. but it's from an unreliable narrator's perspective. Though it's it's a, like it's a third person narrator, but the third person narrator is not reliable. Oh. Um, and so in those proclamations about what the character is feeling, then she's actually showing you something about the character. Hmm. Um, so it's very easy to read. Like it is a, they're both page turners. Hmm. Um, and people sometimes are like, oh, that was, there was no substance to that because they like got caught up in how easy it was to read and were oh, missing okay. the finer details. And so it's one of those things that you can like speed through and it's like, well, that was like a juicy story, but not realize all the comments she's making on form and on society, um, especially post-recession society in Ireland. My pleasure is it's food related. Hmm. So I actually am responsible for this food. So it sounds kind of self-congratulatory, but it's not. It's, it's mostly not? <laughs> no. <laughs> not even a little? No. Hmm. Uh I had a dinner party the other day for birthdays for people and felt very compelled to make food. So I had this dinner party and had found this recipe in just a random kind of cookbook. And it's just like a shepherd's pie, like a, nice. like a, you know, it's a generic recipe. For savory. It's not a shepherd's pie. Oh. So it's very <laughs> deceiving. Um, it's called chicken chasseur. Okay. Which is like. Hunter's chicken, basically. What's the uh, difference between hunter's chicken and regular chicken? Well, so it's like a one pot chicken dish. Okay. So there's a bunch of other stuff in it. But I combined this dish with the things that I learned from another thing that I mentioned on this podcast, salt, fat, acid, heat, hmm. which was uh, the method of dry brining the chicken, the meat. Oh, yeah, yeah, So yeah, I just yeah. rubbed it in salt and left it in my fridge this overnight. This is just big into that. Yeah. And, and then made this dish. And it was the most delicious chicken hmm. I have ever had. And that brings us to the end of our show this week. If you would like to know more about the Center for Philosophy, Religion, and Social Ethics and the Institute for Christian Studies, you can visit us at icscanada.edu. If anything from this week's show piqued your interest, you can also email us at criticalfaith at icscanada.edu. You can also find us on Twitter. You can find my co-host as at Beware the Yeti and me as at Mark Standish. You can also follow ICS as at INSCHR. And from the heart of ICS, thank you all for listening. This has been Critical Faith. If you like what you heard, subscribe to us on iTunes and consider giving us a review. It helps people find us and keeps us on their radar. Most importantly, tell your friends. <laughs>